Well, hey, you've joined us for week two of a series called Be Like Me. We're learning that when we follow Jesus, we become more like him. And today we're gonna ask a question that, especially if it's your first time with us, you might be like, whoa, they talk about this in church. Here's the question today. Where's the fun in following Jesus? Where's the fun in following Jesus? Now, if you're just checking out God in church, I'm sure you're wondering this, but if you're a longtime believer, you might be thinking, what do you mean, John? Well, I mean, where's the freedom in it? You know, sometimes as we follow Jesus, it can uh, feel a little bit dry. It can become a routine. I was thinking about freedom this last week, and I was just remembering what it was like when I was in elementary school. I had a BMX bike, and I would ride all through the neighborhoods around my house. I remember riding my BMX bike through the neighborhoods in the summer, the wind going through my hair, and just not a care in the world as a middle school student, just so free. Do you know that feeling of total, total freedom? You know, when I was around that age, uh, we got some new neighbors. They moved into this big red farmhouse next door to us. Their names were Ben and Joey Jordan. They were a few years younger than I am. Well, Ben and Joey, as I got to know them, their dad eventually passed away from cancer. And I would babysit them sometimes, and I was kind of like an older brother to them. Well, I loved riding my bike so much. And one day I realized Joey and Ben, they didn't know how to ride a bike. And they didn't have a dad around to teach them. I must have been about 13 or 14 years old at this time. I had no idea how to train someone to ride a bike. In fact, I don't think I even knew that training wheels existed because my older brothers taught me and they just put me on there and pushed me and I would fall on the sidewalk and get all bloody knees and they'd just say, get back on the bike. And so I pretty much took the same approach with poor Ben and Joey. But I remember to this day the exact sidewalk. I remember having my hand on the back of the seat and running with them and pushing the bike and telling them to pedal and telling them to balance. Watching them fall and trying to coach them, hey, when you fall, dive for the grass and then helping them get back up. And I remember even as a middle school student, that moment, I remember this especially for Joey. He was the younger one, little guy with blonde hair. I remember the moment where I was running with him and I let the bike go. And then I see Joey's little legs pumping, 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 and he wobbles a little and then he keeps going. And I remember even as a 13 or 14 year old, just the joy that overwhelmed me of getting to teach someone how to ride a bike. Do you know that feeling of joy? Maybe you've experienced it when you were teaching a kid to fish. And they had that weird face as you put the worm on the hook, but then they pull their first fish up out of the water and they're just elated. It's that same feeling when you teach someone to drive or to dance or to swim or to ride a bike. It's the feeling of sharing something that you enjoy so much. So here's my question for you. Have you had that feeling much in your relationship with God lately? You could put it this way, as you follow Jesus, are you experiencing joy or would the word drudgery be more accurate? Are you maybe doing all the right things, good for you if you are, but it just feels kind of dry, feels like you're going through the motions, or would the word joy describe your relationship with God right now? Well, I wonder if I could tell you in the next 20 minutes or so, if I could tell you how to recover the joy, how to recover the freedom, the wild freedom of following Jesus, or maybe if you've never experienced it before, if I could tell you for the first time 
how to have a relationship with God that's full of joy and freedom, would you want to know how? Well, that's exactly what God brought you into this moment to share with you. I believe he's got a word for you, and I hope you'll open your heart as we look into the word of God. We've been studying the gospel of Mark, and we've seen this beautiful quote from Jesus. This is how he would recruit the disciples. In Mark 1 verse 17, he walks up to some disciples who are fishing, These guys were fishermen by trade. Their dads and their grandpas were fishermen. And Jesus walks up to them and he says, follow me. So not just believe in me. Now you do believe because none of us would follow someone we don't believe in. But if we really believe Jesus, we'll follow Jesus. And Jesus said to them and he says to us, follow me. And then last week we learned that as we follow Jesus, we become more like Jesus. We don't necessarily grow beards or wear sandals, but we start to see the world the way Jesus does. And that's what he said, I will make you become fishers of men. That is, I will take your trade, your skills, your desires, and I will use the way I've wired you to reach other people. Jesus starts by transforming us. And then as we continue to follow him, he makes us agents of transformation to reach and rescue and help others. Now last week, we really took a close look at one of these disciples who dropped his nets, gave up his family trade, and followed Jesus. That was Peter. And next week, we'll look at Peter a little bit more. But today, I want to show you another one of these first four disciples, Peter and Andrew. And then look at this in verse 19. When Jesus had gone a little further down the seashore, He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat. So James and John are in the boat. It must be close enough to the shore. Maybe it's kind of pulled up in the sand there that Jesus can talk to them. And Jesus is going to give them the same offer. Follow me. Well, in exactly the same way, John is going to drop his nets. He's going to follow Jesus. Now, last week we considered the very end of Peter's life when he wrote the book of 2 Peter. And he was in his 60s and his hands were grizzled and he'd been through so much persecution and difficulty and yet he had found that he could keep growing in Jesus, becoming more like Jesus in every season of life, in all the highs and in all the lows. And I want to take you now to a similar letter that was written by John. Now, I won't get too nerdy on you. You can dig this up in your Life Application Study Bible, but John, of the original 12 disciples and then of the apostles, he's the one who lived the longest. In fact, many of the disciples would end up being killed for their faith. John is the exception. Uh, He got exiled to an island called Patmos. And it was from that island that he wrote famous book of the Bible called Revelation, he also wrote right around the same time, about the year 90 AD, he wrote the book of 3 John. Now here's what he says at the very end of his life. Remember, he walks with Jesus those three dramatic years of public ministry. He was there when Jesus washed the disciples' feet the night before the crucifixion. Uh, John was there watching Jesus be crucified. He's one of the few disciples who didn't run away right away. And, And John had a front row seat. And then he saw Jesus raised from the dead. And he faithfully planted those early churches that gave us worldwide Christianity today. What does he say 
at the very end of his life, in this very short letter of 3 John, he says this, I have no greater joy. Now consider this. This is an old man. This is a weary man. This is a man who's been beaten up by life, who's persecuted, who's living in prison. And he says, my life is defined by great joy. What is his great joy? He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children. Now, is he talking about his biological sons and daughters? Not at all. He's actually talking about his spiritual sons and daughters. He's writing this letter to someone who he led to Christ. And then he heard that this guy had led a bunch of other people to Jesus. And he says, there's no greater joy in my life than hearing that I have spiritual children. And that my spiritual children, they're walking in the truth. They're doing what Jesus says. They're believing and they're obeying what God says in his word and how Jesus says to live. And in John's closing words, after living a full lifetime of following Jesus, we find the secret to joy in the Christian life. And here it is. The great joy of following Jesus, well, it actually comes from leading others to Jesus and they find life in him. And just like I saw my little neighbor boy pumping on that bicycle, pumping his little legs, and it was like, wow, he gets to experience something that brings me so much joy. When you lead someone else to Jesus, you have that same thing, but it's so much more meaningful, right? I mean, I can tell you about little Joey Jordan and how I still remember as a 13 or 14-year-old the joy of that moment. But let me tell you, I can tell you about disciples who are following Jesus today. A guy in his 50s named Stuart Hopkins, who I got to lead to Jesus in Prescott, Arizona. And my first little church in Prescott, the worship leader, James Parker, the youth pastor, Josh McClintock. These were young guys in their early 20s. I got to train them. Here's how you follow Jesus. They're doing ministry today. But here's the thing. You don't have to be a pastor to make disciples. When I think back of the different people who have gotten to teach how to ride a bike spiritually, uh, some of my favorites are ones from Scottsdale, Arizona, when I was still working full-time as a journalist. And just like you, I had a demanding job and a full life, but I got recruited to lead a small group at my church. And as I started to lead that small group, we saw people come to salvation, and we saw believers learn, here's what it is to follow Jesus. And I'm telling you guys, maybe you're watching this and you've experienced it in the past and the Holy Spirit is saying, yes, it's time to get back into making disciples. Or maybe you're watching this for the very first time and you think, John, I'm not qualified. I could never do that. Well, I want to encourage you, stick with me because none of us are qualified in ourselves. We're going to see that Jesus is the one who does the work and he can work through anyone who will show up and just obey by inviting others. It's as simple as saying, hey, I'm following Jesus. Why don't you follow him with me? Well, earlier, we saw some of the baptisms from this last week here at Connection Point. One of those is a gal in our church named Marianne. Now, this is Marianne baptizing her friend, Kathy. And this is a beautiful story. Because Marianne and Kathy, do you know how they met? Playing golf. And for eight years, Marianne invited Kathy to come to Connection Point and just experience the new life in Jesus. It took eight years of friendship, 
lots of rounds of golf. And eventually, Marianne and Kathy, their friendship kept growing, and Kathy finally started to join Marianne here for some different activities. It's been an incredible journey for Kathy's faith. In fact, it was one year ago, here in February, that Kathy started to attend Connection Point. She started to attend, and then about a month later, we had to close our physical doors because of COVID. But thanks to your giving and thanks to your faith, we were ready to go fully online because of the Greater Things vision. Well, Kathy kept with us, and she kept watching online. As we explained the Life Application Study Bible, Kathy got one. As we preached the good news of Jesus, Kathy believed. And then Mary Ann was able to invite Kathy into her small group. This is them at Christmas time where they're serving together, handing out candy canes. What did Mary Ann do? She just said one day at a time, hey, here's how I'm following Jesus. I'm going to go to the fitness center at church to play pickleball. Do you want to come? I'm going to go to the Christmas Eve service and hand out candy canes. Do you want to come? I'm going to go to my small group. Do you want to join me? And as Kathy kept doing that and believing, Marianne was finally able to say, hey, it's time for you to go public with your faith and get baptized. And it was completely natural. Do you know that God wants to use you in the same way? Now, you might think, I could never do that, John. I'm way too shy. Here's all I want to encourage you with today. Would you just make this choice of saying, God, where you want to use me, I will surrender. I will start to see people the way you see them. And, and God, if you want me to invite a relative or someone I play golf with or a neighbor, I'll do it. Now, here's what I want to encourage you. You can do this. Exactly what you just saw with Mary Ann, you can do this because God is at work in you. You don't have to get up on stage and preach. You don't have to become a pastor. God uses all of us as ordinary people. And here's what you do. You just keep following Jesus. Just keep being faithful following him. Keep watching or gathering every weekend. Keep getting in your small group. Keep serving. And as you do that, just like you saw with Mary Ann, just start recruiting the people you play golf with or the people who share your hobby or people who you work with or relatives who you care about who don't know Jesus. Very simply, keep following him and start recruiting the people around you to follow Jesus with you. You don't do this out of shame or obligation and it doesn't have to sound religious. It's just like the joy of teaching someone to ride a bike because we love it. We want to share what we love doing. You know, even if you're just brand new starting out your journey with Jesus, you can invite someone else to follow Jesus with you. So I want to ask you right now, who's one person who you could invite to follow Jesus with you? Who's just one person? I heard a story recently of a person whose ex-wife saw such a transformation in him that she said, how are you so different? He said, it's because of Jesus. You should come to church and check him out. And his ex-wife came to church and now she's a believer in Jesus. You could be a brand new Christian, but who's one person in your life? Or I have to believe there's some people watching right now and you are a deep, mature believer, but there's really not one specific believer who you're reaching out to and praying for. I want to encourage you, this is simple. This is attainable. You can do this. Now, if you're not sure who to start with, just consider this spokes of your life. You know, you've got your family. Is there anyone in your family who's far from Jesus? I want to encourage you, dads and moms, 
bringing your kids to church every single weekend, whether it's in the building or online, that's part of your calling. The most important disciples for you to make, the greatest joy of following Jesus, will be seeing your children walk in truth. Your family. Uh, Maybe it's your spouse. We've got many people in our church family where the husband or the wife has become a believer. The other one hasn't yet. You pray for them every day. And you just keep gently inviting them. Hey, here's what God's doing. Do you want to come and check it out with me? Maybe the person who God wants to use you is in your workplace or in your school. Maybe it's someone from one of your hobbies. You guys know I love Toyota Land Cruisers. A lot of times I'll meet guys through that hobby and I'm able to just say, hey, here's how I'm following Jesus. Do you want to come along? Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Maybe it's a friend, a recent friend, or it might even be a childhood friend where you reconnect through social media or something and you think, wow, uh, they should know the peace, the joy, the new life that I've found. Would you join me right now in just saying, God, show me one face or one name, one person who this next week I can intentionally reach out and say, hey, follow Jesus with me. The word of God is telling us that's where we find the joy. Now, if you feel a little bit intimidated, let me encourage you with some of Jesus' final words to his disciples. Here's what Jesus said after he had risen from the dead. This is called the Great Commission, where he sends the disciples out to go and recruit more disciples. And look how it starts. Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, I remember this word authority well because when you learn New Testament Greek, it's one of the first ones you learn. It's called exousia. And this means like the authority of a king, but Jesus is using it in a supernatural way. In other words, where you lack power, where you lack qualification, where you might feel like, ah, who am I to invite someone else to church or to invite someone else to my small group or to serve with me, you just claim the authority that Jesus has delegated to you. He's given you his authority, all the authority on heaven and on earth. Jesus is saying, now I give that to you. So go and make disciples. What does it mean to make disciples? It's exactly what Jesus said at the very beginning. Follow me and I'll make you someone who goes and makes disciples. It's exactly what Mary Ann did when she simply invited her golf buddy for eight years, come see what God is doing in my life. You can do this too. And then Jesus gives these specific instructions. What does it look like to make disciples? Well, he's gonna say specifically, go and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That's the three parts of our one God and then teaching them to obey. Now, teaching them doesn't mean you have to stand up and give a lecture or preach a sermon. Truths are caught, not taught. In other words, you just walk with them through life. Exactly what Mary Ann did. Hey, I'm serving at Christmas Eve. Do you want to hand out candy canes with me? I'm going to the fitness center at church to kind of get in shape. Do you want to join me and get around some other believers, encourage our minds, change our outlook on life? Here's the reality. As we follow Jesus, we will become more like him. And then as we become like him, he will use us to do two specific things, to recruit others and to train others. Now, don't feel like all of this is on your shoulders. I'm about to show you the beauty of how all of us fit together as a body. My gifts, your gifts, uh, in our church, thousands of other people, we all mesh together. And so you just do your part. 
Uh, like Marianne, she invited Kathy, and then thanks to our digital team, thanks to our production volunteers, thanks to our front door greeters, thanks to our fitness center staff and volunteers, all these different touch points God used to bring Kathy to salvation. You don't have to do the recruiting and training on your own. You just surrender to God and you say, God, I want to be a true follower of Jesus. And if true followers of Jesus invite others, then Jesus, I'll obey you in that, even if it's scary. Jesus, I will become a recruiter for you. If you bring them here, we'll train them up for you, okay? And we'll keep training you how to train them as well. Of course, only God can work in a person's heart. When you stand before God someday, he's not gonna ask you if you saved anyone, but he will ask you, did you invite? Did you pray for? Did you care about? Did you even think of the person who works next to you, lives next to you, maybe lives in your own house? You know, following Jesus includes inviting others to follow Jesus with you. That's just the assumption as well as the command of the scriptures. Well, I want to encourage you, Connection Point, that you are a church that is doing this. Uh, Just the other day, I have Fridays off, and on a Friday morning, I was dropping my kids off at school, and we were in the school line. You can see Jack's hiding back there. You can see the cars behind us. We're waiting for drop-off, and I look out the window, and I see another vehicle next to us, and the mom is reading a devotional to the kids. She's reading this devotional, and so I thought, that's the coolest thing. I don't want to embarrass this mom. So I posted on social media a picture of my kids, but I kind of described how this mom was reading her devotional. Well, she comments, and she says, hey, we're a Connection Point family. And I thought, man, I'm just so proud of my church. I'm so proud of our people, because you know what? That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is saying, I've got some time in the car with my kids. I'm going to be intentional. You don't have to be perfect, just be intentional. We give you so many tools here. Uh, We've got a parenting group. If you want to text the number on our screen, we can get you connected to many, many other parents who together, one week at a time, we're saying, hey, here's a new tool. Uh, I just found a new TV show called Owl Gories, like the, the bird and owl gories. It's a great TV show to help the kids understand the word of God. There's another one called Superbook. There's all these different tools that we share as parents. Uh, my wife, Mel, when we're sitting in the car and Monday through Thursday when she's in the car with the kids, uh, they watch the Daily Hope devotional that we send out every day. And if you want to get that, just text the word daily to us. We'll text you that short devotional every day. In fact, every week we get letters here from people all around the country who have gotten the daily hope because one of you shared it. So church, you're already doing this. And I just want to encourage you when you go to work this week, when you're in your neighborhood and you see a neighbor, even in your family, be asking God, God, who do you want me to recruit to invite you. Well, as we start to get serious about making disciples, we sometimes run up against a question. Here's the question. Are we called to make disciples in the collective? Now, what I mean by that is like our weekend services, our big gatherings, or are we called to make disciples individually? Like you talking to your coworker or your neighbor, which one do you think it is? And You can probably see by my face that it's a bit of a trick question, right? Are we called to make disciples, all of us working together or each of us in our individual workplaces? Well, the answer is a clear yes. It's a both, right? We're supposed to be working together 
and individually to make disciples. In fact, this is the biblical precedent. Uh, Jesus went specifically to Peter and Andrew, to James and John, but then he would go to groups of hundreds or thousands and say, hey, all of you follow me. Paul and Peter and John, they would write books of the New Testament to specific Christians they knew, but then they would say, man, I'm so thankful for the hundreds and thousands of Christians who I don't know who you're impacting. Now, that's the beauty of the body of Christ is that God will use you in your individual relationships, but he'll use you in the church family, and the church family will do things that you can't do. Uh, just like Kathy was able to hear about Jesus and experience Jesus by coming to our building using our online tools. It's through the large group that the people you invite, they'll get to experience some things that maybe you couldn't offer them. But it's through your one-on-one relationship with them that they'll get to experience being known by name, being cared about, being prayed for, maybe having a hand on their shoulder or a hug or someone to cry with them. You can think of it this way. Discipleship happens through the collective body and through our individual relationships. And it has to be both. For us to be a healthy church, we see in the book of Acts, in one day, 3,000 new Christians are added, then 5,000. That's the collective body. And that's where all of us come together with our different gifts, door greeters and production light operators and kids city volunteers and small group leaders for our middle school students and hundreds of us, thousands of us working together as a collective body to introduce Jesus to people that none of us individually could do on our own. But then it's our individual relationships That's the network that brings people in that connects them to Jesus. Now, most of you know that I'm a car guy, so let me give you a great car example of this. This is perhaps one of the most beautiful V8 engines in the world, made by Honda. Ironically, not typically a company that makes V8s, but I'm going to stay out of my car nerdery here, okay? Would you just check out the beautiful engineering of this eight-cylinder engine. Now, don't worry if you're not a car person or you're not into engines. Let me just explain a few basic things for you here. You can see one, two, three, four. There's four cylinders on this side of the engine. That's called a, a cylinder bank. And then there's four others on the other side. That makes eight total. Now, these cylinders, they're all exploding up and down at different times. They're working together to power the car. Now, it's exactly the same with the body of Christ. We all have different gifts. And when we're working together in a synchronized way, in harmony, it produces a ton of spiritual horsepower. And you could almost think of these two banks of cylinders. One is all of our thousands of personal relationships that we have all throughout Hendricks County and many of you watching online around the nation. That's one bank of cylinders. And then the other bank is what we do when we gather on weekends, when we gather online, the tools that we're able to build together as a movement. You know, some of these cylinders of the engine would include our small groups. It would include our men's ministry. If you're a guy and you don't have other guys who know you, guys who you can talk about your struggles with, you've got to text the number on the screen because we've got a rapidly growing men's ministry where you can be known by other guys who share your passions, who share your struggles, who want to help you follow Jesus. We've got women's groups that do the exact same, mom to mom for young moms especially. We've got grief groups that share in suffering and share in joy. We've got fitness groups. We've got a collective 
that is far bigger than any one of us could ever do, but it all comes down to a movement of individuals, that each one of us is connected to Christ and to the body through our relationships. It's through those one-on-one relationships that you most feel the change, that you most experience the joy of seeing someone transform before your eyes, but it's when we all come together in humility and we share in our contribution and our serving and praying for the movement of the whole that we see these fantastic, huge miracles that God is doing. Well, Jesus recruited the disciples, and the more we become like Jesus the more we'll be recruiting other people to also follow Jesus. Now, I talked about us as a church kind of being like an engine. A healthy engine is one where all the cylinders are firing. Sometimes when a car gets old, maybe a spark plug is out or something's wrong and not all the cylinders are firing. Well, church, I'm so grateful to God because by his grace right now, all the cylinders are firing. We'll never be a perfect church because we're made up of imperfect people. But church, you are a movement of Jesus that is making disciples who make disciples. And I want to show you a true story of the discipleship that's happening here because we're firing on all cylinders by God's grace. This is the true story of two young people who grew up in this church. As four-year-olds, they were in our kids' city. As middle school and high school students, they were being discipled by small group leaders. Their parents were intentional in discipling them. And now, as they follow Jesus, they've been called and they've obeyed to go to a foreign land, a new culture, to reach people who've never even heard about Jesus. Let's go ahead and take a look. Hey, I'm Zach. I'm Haley. And we're missionaries going to serve in the Balkans. That's all we got. Uh, So we have both been called into going into the mission field. And um, a part of our story, we both kind of have individual ones that merge together. Um, But the piece for me that uh, Connection Point has really helped shape for me was in my youth. So my friends encouraged me to go on to a trip, the New York missions trip that they had. That trip was the first seed that I really feel like God was planting a seed uh, for me to go into missions and to move into the missions field. In high school, I went on a sh- my first short-term trip, uh, mission trip with the church, and um, I went to Albania, and that was my first um, experience with the Balkans region, and I just fell in love with the culture um, and the people there. And that was also the first experience where I had had, um, had met some people that had never heard of the gospel, had never heard of Jesus. And so God really started using that to stir my heart more for that region and those unreached people groups in that area. And then when, when we got married, we knew going into marriage that that's what we wanted to do, that we wanted to go into the mission field. It was during one of Dan Crum's sermons that both of us just felt this stirring in our hearts and we made eye contact and just knew that Jesus was calling us to go and to serve him in a different way. And while, while we were on the trip, um, I got to share my testimony. And afterwards, one of the girls um, that attended the camp asked the, our leader, said, who is this Jesus that she's talking about? And I, my, I mean, my heart just broke 
heartbreaking for these kids who had just never even had the opportunity. And it reminded me of Romans 10, 14, where it talks about like, if they, how can they believe if they've never heard and how can they hear if nobody preaches? And so that was for us, I feel like was the moment where we were just open hands saying like, here we are, send us. God said to Gideon, remember, it is not by the might of men. When we just went by ourselves, there was a sense of freedom in that because we weren't attached to, nobody else was attached to us. It was just us making those decisions and it just affected us. But now having kids, um, that has totally changed things. You know, he calls us, but he's calling us as a family. Yes. And so it's just as important for them to go and to learn and to grow more in Christ and to grow closer to Christ Mm -hmm. through this. Remember our other memory verse? He tells everyone to pick up their cross and to follow him. And this is just for us what our cross looks like. Um, The sacrifice of leaving family here behind, um, leaving the comfort, the lifestyle um, of things here, and um, going into a place, a new language, new culture, um, experiencing this life with kids and it's definitely been a, a, a changing process for our hearts um, to fully just let go of our trust on the world and people and to really trusting in who Christ is and trusting what the gospel says and that that he is enough and he is uh, going to satisfy us. That thirst that we have, he will satisfy it. And it might not look exactly how we thought it was going to or the timeline that we thought it was going to, but um, we are... We are so thankful and we praise Him for His faithfulness in this journey. That is something that we all need daily is is to know the gospel and to be reminded that He has saved us and will, um, He will keep us and protect us. Well, Zach and Haley, we are so, so proud of you. We got to join together earlier this week with our change makers. That's everyone who regularly serves or gives. If you start serving or giving regularly, you'll get a change maker invite. And once a month, I do a call to our change makers. And we spent time just praying for God's protection and his power for Zach and Haley. It was just a couple weeks ago that they packed their suitcases. They took a plane from Chicago to Germany and then from Germany to the country where uh, it's a little bit persecuted for Christians and it's a little bit uncomfortable. In fact, we can't even say what the country is. And you might think, how would someone ever get to such a place that they could follow Jesus like that? Here's how. Because when you follow Jesus in bringing others to him, there's a joy. There's a joy that far exceeds having the most comfortable living room or the most comfortable setup in life. There's a joy in bringing others to Jesus. And we as a church are very simply a movement of people who exist because other people brought us to Jesus. And now we're called to experience the joy by bringing others. Let me tell you very specifically today how you can be part of this disciple-making that we get to do as a church, how you can experience this joy. Collectively, every time you give, it supports our 26 missionaries around the world, including Zach and Haley, as well as 25 others. Every time you serve here, 
It opens the doors so that when someone like Kathy, who was baptized last weekend, comes for the first time. I'm telling you guys, every week I get letters from people who say, I came to Connection Point for the first time and it just felt like home. You know why it felt like home? Because of people who are serving at the front doors, serving in the parking lot, serving all throughout the facility, serving as online hosts, making people feel welcome. We also collectively experience the joy of disciple making when we're really praying together that God would add to our number, that he would bring people to salvation, that he would raise the strongest generation. So this is God's will for you to be doing this. And then it's also his will. He wants you firing on all cylinders in your personal life for you to be inviting. Now don't feel overwhelmed. You don't start with inviting 50 people. Start with one. Start with one and pray together today with me saying, God, who's the one person who you want me to bring to Jesus? God, as I continue to follow Jesus, who can I bring with me? Well, next week, we're going to continue this study. And I just want to say, if you know anyone who's been hurt by a church, hurt by ministry, we're going to be talking about ministry wounds when other believers let you down or fail you. So whether you've failed or you've been hurt by someone who's failed, next week is going to be a powerful message in this study, Be Like Me. Maybe the person you should invite is someone who was a believer or they've been hurt by the church, they've wandered away. Let's take some time right now and just pray that God will lead each of us to that one person this week who we're supposed to say, hey, follow me as I follow Jesus. Let me pray that for you now. Father, Lord, I thank you that someone invited me to follow you. I thank you that every one of us right now, your spirit has just been reminding us that someone was selfless enough to teach us how to ride a bike spiritually. And Lord, we pray that you would use us in the same way. Lord, we pray that many, many people would be baptized just like Kathy was last week. That many, many people would come into a deeper awareness, Lord, whether we're recruiting brand new disciples or training up young people who grow up like Zach and Haley. Would you use us as a collective to be a disciple-making movement? And would you use us as individuals, Lord, in our places of work, our places of study, our neighborhoods, our homes, our families, that we would be followers of Jesus who are recruiting others because you said, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of people. Go and make disciples. Lord, give us your authority. Help us to claim it and use your authority to make disciples. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.